Morning. Let's, uh, we'll read the word here. I'm going to read from John uh, chapter 3, 1 through 21. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered him and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he go back into uh, the womb a second time, into his mother's womb, and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, that thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it comes or whither it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and doesn't know these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that which we know, and we testify what we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I had told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven." And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light came into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word, Lord, and you've given it to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, on men of old who wrote these things down, Lord. And now we have the Bible, Lord, and we have this uh, scripture that we just read. John 1 to 21. Lord, you, uh, as the Holy Spirit, can help us now to understand it. So we pray that, Lord, that you give us understanding, enlightenment, help us to know what we just read, 
And uh, use it in our lives to change us, Lord. Use it to sanctify us. Use it to direct us in life. And we're thankful for it. And we thank you, especially, Lord, for just all the ones that are here today by appointment and all those you brought here, all those that uh, have come, Lord, wanting to hear your word, wanting to worship you in spirit and truth. So we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, I put a title on here, You Must Be Born Again, because that's what the word says. You must be. And when it says you must be, that's kind of important. So, um, this, this Nicodemus is a um, kind of a peculiar character. If we, We've heard a lot about him, but we don't know much about him. And we, we look in the scriptures, he's only mentioned in three different places. So, what, what can we figure out about this man, Nicodemus? He's a Pharisee, a member of this, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. That's a, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, he, he's a ruler of the Jews. He's an eminent teacher in Israel, highly respected. Yet, like every other child of Adam, like you and like me, he was encumbered with a base corruption that he didn't even know existed. So he had within him the same corruption that we have, the same corruption that every single person born into this world has. It's called the flesh. We have that. And uh, that corruption will send us to hell if, it, if something doesn't change. If someone doesn't come down and reach out to us, um, that, that corruption can put us in hell. So Nicodemus comes, and he, he's, it's a peculiar thing that he comes because the Pharisees, and he's a member of the Pharisees, remember. He's, he's the eminent Pharisee. He's the chief of the Pharisees. He's right up there at the top, elite and he comes to Jesus, but he doesn't come in broad daylight. He comes at night. And why do you think he comes at night? He comes at night because it's dark. He doesn't want anybody to see him. He's a little bit afraid of, you know, if I come in the daytime, somebody might see me and they might tell other Jews and everybody would be mad at me. I don't want that. I'm going to kind of sneak in here at night. And then, of course, there'll be less people there to bother Jesus, and I'll maybe get to talk to him alone. So he comes by night. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Why does he even come to Jesus? That's a good question. Why did he come? Um, I, was, I just, it doesn't tell us, but I thought of a few things. I said he, he maybe felt that Jesus and he were both excellent teachers of the, of the law. So... Maybe they'd have something in common. Maybe he could get Jesus to compromise a little bit and he could kind of help out the Pharisees and they'd get on the same page and they could all um, you know, work on breaking this bondage of Rome that was hanging over all the Jews. That's possible. Um, you know, if he could get Jesus you know, just to compromise a little. You know, quit, quit saying you're the son of God. You know, quit saying things like that. That just irritates the people. Why would you want to say that? You could come and join us and we'd all get together and, and uh, be on the same page. That would really help. You know, it would help all the people. It would help us. That would be a good thing. 
But Jesus doesn't doesn't give an ear to it. Um, I think he kind of thinks when he comes that he and Jesus are kind of on equal footing. You know, I mean, I'm the, I'm Nicodemus. I'm the leader of the Jews, and you're kind of a seems like you you, you have some favor with some of the Jews, and you seem to know what you're talking about. Um, so, um, you know, those are all reasons he might have come. I don't I don't know why. You know, maybe somebody was witnessing to him. Um, but there's some things that Nicodemus didn't know. What are the things that Nicodemus didn't know? Um, he thought it was his plan to meet with Jesus. He thought he had that all figured out himself. That I think I can just go meet with this, with this Jesus and maybe get him to start thinking a little more like we think. Well... He didn't realize that he had an appointment established by God. God had set that up, not Nicodemus. Um, Didn't know that God was drawing him. He thought he knew all about God, and he didn't have to know any more about God. So he didn't know that God was drawing him. um, It's an Old Testament scripture that says that. In uh, Jeremiah 31.3, it says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore have I drawn you with cords of kindness. So Jesus was, or God was drawing Nicodemus there. He'd set up the appointment himself to get Nicodemus there at this very time. Um, John 6.44, no man can come to me except the Father draw him. And I will raise him up on the last day. So Nicodemus is there, um, but he didn't know these things. Another thing he didn't know, he didn't know he was hanging by a thread over the pit of hell. And unless Jesus intervened on his behalf, that very thin grip on life could give way at any second. And none of us know that, you know. We're, we're walking through this life just cruising... Excuse me. And uh, as we walk through this life, we don't have any idea how far the next steps can take us. We ju- we just don't know. God didn't tell us that. So um, Nicodemus doesn't know that. He's he's going along thinking he's got everything under control. He can he's going to get all this these things done, and he's uh, you know a pretty pretty elite guy. Well, I think there's a contrast here. Um, Nicodemus, the most uh, respected, uh, the most esteemed, self-righteous Jew in all of Jerusalem, maybe, at least one of them, Um, Jesus meets with him this time, but then in the next chapter, four, he meets with the most despised um, of the, the despised Samaritans, the woman at the well. I mean, she was, she was kind of a, a woman about town, and she, and and she was a woman. He wasn't supposed to be talking to her according to the law, and he wasn't supposed to, uh, he he wasn't supposed to be visiting with a Samaritan. And um, but here's Jesus. He doesn't do what we think he should do. A lot of times we got a plan for Jesus, but he doesn't do it our way. Um, every time you think you know exactly what he's going to do, guess what? He'll probably do something different.
Um, maybe you've found that out over life that, that happens. You, you know, God always has his own plan. He has his ways. And sometimes they're very different from ours. So um, I thought that was interesting how he goes from the highest to the lowest, showing us that none are excluded from, from his kingdom. You know, It's those who believe. It's those who have a desire in their heart. Those who hear and respond to God's word. Those are the ones um, that Jesus has already has an appointment with. He had an appointment. <clears throat> Excuse me. He said um, they were going to go up to <clears throat> Capernaum. And he says, and I, I must go through Samaria. I must go through Samaria. I um, wonder why he must go through there. Um, well, it was to, he had an appointment with this woman at the well. Um, so we have Nicodemus and... And we mentioned that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a, a council in Jerusalem um, made up of Sadduce- uh, Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees, of course, were the uh, ones that were looking forward to the Messianic kingdom. They were looking for the re- they looked forward to the resurrection. <clears throat> And uh, the Sadducees, on the other hand, didn't believe in anything beyond the books of Moses. They would read the first five books, um, and that was called the Torah, and they would read those, and that's all they wanted to do with it. They didn't, they didn't, um, uh, you know, they didn't believe in anything that was... Um, Supernatural, supernatural events of any kind, um, angels, miracles, things like that. They were, they were not a part of their thinking. And so this consul or this Sanhedrin was a mixture of those. And uh, they were responsible or, and accountable to Rome for everything that went on in Jerusalem with all these Jews. They were responsible. If there was a riot, if there were people uh, rebelling, if there were, you know, something caused a big uh, to do in the streets, it was their fault. And so they were the ones that had to keep the Jews in line, make sure that there wasn't any um, anybody getting out of line. And uh, that's that was Nicodemus. And he he says in um, verse three. No, not verse Okay. I'm sorry. Verse two. Um, Rabbi, we know that you're a good teacher. Well, now maybe all the Pharisees believed that, but they didn't admit it. A lot of them didn't. But uh, I think when he's saying we, there maybe there's somebody else in the Sanhedrin, and Nicodemus, maybe a few people that believe. You know, they kind of. This, you know, they kind of didn't want to go along with the persecution of Jesus. They didn't want to go along with getting rid of him. They didn't really believe him. They just sort of wanted to be in the middle of the road. They didn't like all this, you know, fighting among them and all that sort of thing. So they, what they wanted to do was um, find out more about him. And so I'm thinking one of them, who also was in the Sanhedrin, um, was 
Joseph of Joseph of Arimathea. He was a another Pharisee. He was in the Sanhedrin, and in Mark uh, 15:43, it tells us that he was an honorable councilman and that he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Now I'm kind of wondering now who is witnessing to who here? Who kind of talked? Nicodemus in to go in to talk to Jesus. Was it Joseph? Did he was he kind of saying, you know, you know, we maybe we better find out more, you know, just kind of talking between themselves. Each one a little bit afraid that the other one might squeal on them to the rest of the Pharisees and they'd be in trouble. I'm I'm kind of thinking that it, you know, I, I'm not sure if uh, Joseph was was kind of urging Nicodemus to go, or after Nicodemus got back, he started working on Joseph. So Somehow the two of them kind of end up um, going the, um, the way of truth. And I, I'm not sure how that all worked out. It doesn't tell us. But in, uh, in verse 2 we read, We can see that you are a teacher come from God and that no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with them. Was, it, was this flattery? You think he was trying to flatter Jesus, hoping to get a little flattery in return. <clears throat> you know, he could have he could have been saying, you know, you're really something, Jesus, hoping that Jesus would say, yeah, you know, you are too, Nicodemus. We're both really something, aren't we? But he didn't get that. Um, he, he maybe was trying to, to pick up a little, but um, he's trying to say to Jesus, you and I are a lot alike. But he doesn't recognize that he's talking to God. He doesn't recognize that Jesus is God. And he's talking to him. And yet, uh, it's very much, I think, I, I thought right away of the rich young ruler. Um, in in uh, Matthew 19, there were the, uh, the, the rich young ruler comes and says, uh, uh, Good teacher, what must we? What must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, "Well, you know the law. You know, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself." Well, yeah, I've done all those things my whole life. Jesus said, "Well, that's, that's pretty good." But one thing, you know, go and sell all that you have. Um, and and Jesus said to him, "Why do you call me good? There's none good but God." But here this little, this uh, rich young ruler is calling him good. So Jesus here is using a, a ploy here to say, you don't know who I am. You don't know who you're talking to. He says, there's none good but God. So I kind of think that's kind of the same thing as Nicodemus here. He doesn't know who he's talking to. The rich young ruler didn't know who he was talking to. Obviously, they cannot see. They cannot see. And every one of us, we were in a spot in our life when we could not see. It was absolutely impossible for us. Um, I think of um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, way down at the bottom there, it says, uh, it says, um, even today, when Moses is read, meaning, you know, the books of Moses, even today when Moses is read, there's a veil over their hearts. There's a veil over their hearts. But it says, when it turns to the Lord, the veil is lifted. And then Paul goes on to say, 
But we, with unveiled hearts, we with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into that same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. So they were blinded, they were veiled, their eyes were veiled. Paul went right on in the next chapter 4 to talk about, um, you know, if our gospel is hid, it's hid unto them that are perishing. For the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine on them. Um, And then he says, well, the same God, the very same God who caused the light to shine out of darkness, way back in Genesis chapter 1, that same God has shined in our hearts to give the light of the glory of the Knowledge, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's where, that's where God has brought us. You know, if we can see the face of Jesus Christ, and that's what the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to us—the face of God—and that's what we want to look for. That's what what changes us. That's why we're here today. You know, I don't, most of us in here have seen the face of God. We've seen Jesus Christ. And we look at him through the scriptures and we learn of him and he's changing us. Um, John 17, 17, you know, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. He takes us to the word of God where that's where we're going to see who Jesus is. And he changes us by that. And then Jesus in chapter 3 you know, in, excuse me, verse 3, I don't want to go to chapter, yeah, it's chapter 3 too. Um, but in verse 3, it comes right after 2, and 2 was where Nicodemus is flattering Jesus. But immediately Jesus doesn't have any of that. He won't, he has nothing to do with it. He turns the spotlight right back on Nicodemus immediately. He doesn't even, he doesn't say, oh yeah, well, Nicodemus, that's nice of you to say, or, you know. He doesn't do that. He just turns it right back on Nicodemus and he says, um, most assuredly, and when Jesus says most assuredly or when he says verily, verily, or when he says truly, truly, that's something we need to perk up our ears and listen to. He says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You just can't see it. Won't make any sense. <clears throat> and here's Nicodemus who came in the door thinking he knew everything there was to know about God. And uh, who's who's this guy now talking to me that way? You know, I'm Nicodemus. He don't. He must not understand who I am. Um, and he says, "You must be born again." And um, Nicodemus probably thought he was the most qualified person in Jerusalem to, to enter the kingdom of God. Who'd, who'd be better than Nicodemus? You know, I'm a righteous Jew. I do everything right. And people know that. That's a good thing, isn't it? People know that. And I'm a good Jew. And uh, But in his response, he shows no understanding. You know, for such a, um, I, I keep thinking, boy, he's just like, just like we are. He doesn't understand things a lot of times. <clears throat> and he, he says, well, 
how can a man be born again? Is he, are you going to go and climb back into your mother's womb and get born again? <clears throat> and that just shows that you the foolishness of Nicodemus. You know, he, he's this elegant, never-make-a-mistake Jew that everybody looks up to, and he says something stupid like that, you know. How can a man do that? How can you go climb back in your mother and be born again? I, I'm kind of thinking, um, I think it's, yeah, First um, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural man cannot receive the, the things of the Spirit of God <clears throat> for their foolishness to him. That's exactly what we see here. Their foolishness to him. Uh, neither can he. He can't know them. He he, he just can't because he's, he, he, you know, they, they're they spiritually discerned. They're not the things you, you pick up by just in your brain. You try to figure it all out. It doesn't work. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think he shows his, <clears throat> the accuracy of God's word there. He, he's being foolish, you know, talking about how can you be born again. Um, <clears throat> then Jesus uh, whoops, 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 whoops. sorry here I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert on this like pastor is but I'll get it right here okay So Jesus in verse 5 says, uh, explains, um, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Born of water and the Spirit. And of course, um, we know what the Spirit is. We have to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. But <clears throat> what does this water mean? And of course, I I look in the commentaries, and there's they're all different. Some say, well, the water means the word of God. And that that concurs with what Peter says. You know, you're you're uh, we're born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. Peter tells us that. Um, so it would then it would say. Jesus would say, you must be born of the Word and of the Spirit. That, that's sensible. Uh, another thing, some say it's the Holy Spirit, because Jesus stood on the, on the hill in uh, chapter seven, John chapter 7. He says, um, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. So some would take that and they say, but then that makes no sense because then Jesus is saying you must be born of the Spirit and the Spirit or the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit. That's redundant. That's, you know, that, isn't, that, that doesn't fit very well. Uh, another thing, some say it's baptism because of the water. They, they say, well, you have to be baptized and, and the Holy Spirit. But the whole scriptures say, no, that's not right. That's not right. Um, we're saved by grace through faith alone. That's it. So 
Yeah, it can't be baptism. And the last one's repentance. The reason uh, they think it's repentance is because Nicodemus would have been very familiar with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was out there in the waters of the Jordan, and uh, he was baptizing people, and he was, you know, he was, was telling people to repent. Repent, you know, you vipers, what, who, what, who told you to come and flee from the wrath to, or from the wrath to come? He, he, he was being tough on them, but he was saying, repent, you know, lay, uh, you know, show f- some fruits here, worthy of repentance. And so, um, all of those, those are all in the commentaries, um, I think of Titus 3, 5, where he says, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's by his mercy that he saved us. Through the, re- the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So the washing could be, oh, thank you, thank you. Appreciate that. Put it over here so they don't knock it open. So, um, John, uh, the, on the repentance thing, Jonathan Edwards um, says that faith and repentance are both gifts of God. God gives us repentance. God gives us faith. They come right at the same time. They are two sides of the same coin, he says. Um, the moment... We receive faith in Christ. We turn to Christ by faith. At the same moment, we're turning away in disgust and sadness from the sin and self that has dominated our whole life. Everything that's dominated our life. We don't want that anymore. We've turned that away. We've turned to Christ. And then we walk with Christ. And if we say, well, I turn to God, we have to turn to Christ, the Son of God, the one that died and suffered for us on the cross. And we walk with him. Um, Repentance, um, John MacArthur said, well, repentance is actually the, the same. It's a synonym for faith. Because when you turn from When you turn away from yourself, you turn toward Christ. When you turn toward Christ, you're turning away from yourself. So it's a a decision that you make responding to God's word. You're responding to what God's doing in your heart. If you don't respond, you could say, well, yeah, I'm going to receive Christ, but maybe, you know, maybe later I'll, you know, I still want to have some fun, you know. I want to, you know. That doesn't look like much fun going to church and all that stuff. I just, but I want Jesus so my so I'm, you know so I can go to heaven. But I don't want to do all those things. Well, okay. So that's not repentance. Repentance is turning and walking with Christ. That's the main thing in repentance is walk with Christ. If you're walking in the Spirit with Christ, Joel Beakey, um, he. He's a, a, I'm trying to think of the word, a theologist or whatever. He, he writes on theology. 
Um, he says that salvation and sin are both acts of substitution. He said, we assert ourselves and put ourselves on the throne of our own hearts where only God deserves to be. We take the place that only God deserves to be. So we're substituting ourselves for God. At the same time, God takes... Let's see, I get this right. God in, he humbles himself and he puts himself in the place where only man deserves to be on the cross. So, so God is taking our place on the cross. We're taking his place on the, on the throne of our own hearts. And that has to be turned away. We've got to reject that. And we've got to allow him to take his rightful place on our hearts as the, as the king of our hearts. And we have to follow him. Um, so, there, so both sin and salvation are acts of substitution. Then Jesus goes to um, verse 8, talks to Nicodemus about the wind. He can compare... Um, he says, you know, Nicodemus, the wind blows. You can't see where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. But you do know those we those leaves up there are wiggling a little. You know, you, how the um, even on a day you say, well, there's not much of a breeze today. But you look up at the aspen trees and those little leaves will be quaking and trembling. You know, they're they're wiggling up there. And you say, so it must be a breeze. So you can't see the wind, but you can see its effects. Maybe you can see the wind and all of a sudden the shingles on your roof are flying off. That's a bad wind. Or maybe uh, you're out fishing and all of a sudden the wind comes up and the waves start rolling. You say, boy, we better get out of here. This is going to get bad. Well, if you're sitting at home and along comes a... Uh, you're watching the news on TV or something, say, Oh, there's an alert. There's a strong winds or a tornado headed right toward your town there where you live or you know, where you near your house. And it's threatening to hear that, you know, that there's this tornado headed right toward you. So you get on the phone and you say, I want to talk to that weatherman. And you get the weatherman on the phone. You say, you get over here right now and stop this one. I don't want it over here. You change it so it can go somewhere else. And uh, he can't. The weatherman cannot change the weather. He can't change the wind. He's like you and I. He can't do anything about it. So there's really nothing can be done about that. But you can. the best thing to do is talk to the one... <clears throat> The best thing to do is talk to the one <clears throat> who controls the wind and the water. Remember in uh, excuse me. <clears throat> Remember in um, Mark, <coughs> excuse me, chapter four. Um, the, the, the disciples are going to go across. Jesus gets in the boat with them, and they're going to go across the Lake of Galilee, Sea of Galilee. 
<clears throat> and a wind comes up, boisterous wind, and starts crashing waves into the boat and all kinds of things. And <clears throat> Jesus is up in the um, back in the stern somewhere, and he's sleeping on a pillow. And they they come in and wake him up and say, Jesus, well, what are you doing sleeping? You know, why don't don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care the boat's going to go down and we're going to all drown? <clears throat> Jesus gets up and goes over and says, be still. Instantly, the waves are all gone. <clears throat> it's smooth out there. The wind, there's no wind. He said, why were you so fearful? Is it because you have no faith? <laughs> and uh, they just kind of shook their heads and said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? <laughs> Who is this guy? <clears throat> and they still didn't know, of course, <clears throat> having walked with him. I'm going try, to try to struggle <clears throat> a few more minutes here. Kind of losing my voice. <clears throat> Oh, and Nicodemus, he says, how can these things be? I noticed this. Um, I was looking this morning when we were down in Fipt, and we were talking about Mary. And the Holy Spirit was going to come upon her. And, and God, uh, the angel was explaining to her how she could become the mother of the Lord Jesus. And so she says, well, how can these things be? And the same thing Nicodemus says here, how can these things be? You know, so that was kind of cool. So, well, he said here he kind of humiliates Nicodemus a little bit. Jesus says <clears throat> in verse ten, he says, "You're a teacher in Israel, and you don't know these things. You know, how can you be a teacher of?" And and of course he was. Uh, um, if the blind leadeth the blind, they'll both fall into a ditch. So that's kind of what Nicodemus was doing, and Jesus is saying that here. He's saying, you're a teacher and you don't know these things? <clears throat> and then and Paul told us in Romans, uh, Romans 10 there, he says, I, you know, my heart's desire is that all of Israel would be saved, that these Jews, you know, I, I pray they're going to get saved. And he says, I bear record that they have a zeal for God, but not after knowledge. For they belong, for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, have sought about to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So, um, that was the state of the Jews in Jerusalem at that time. They just had not submitted to the righteousness of God. Um, because they wanted to use their own righteousness. And that's what Nicodemus was doing. And he says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all them that believe. You know, if, you're, um, if you believe in Christ fully, we'll talk about that here in a minute, uh, then Jesus uh, explains to him uh, the business about the serpent. He says... Uh, in the wilderness, and I want to look at that 
quick as uh, Numbers 21, verses 5 through 9. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread and there is no water. And our souls loathe this light bread that you're giving us, this manna. They didn't like that. Uh, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. And much of the people of Israel died. So God sends the serpents. He's tired of it. I think, boy, if you read through numbers, it's so obvious that you just go from one murmur and complainer to another, and God doesn't like that one bit. Um, And so, therefore, the people came to Moses and said, Oh, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord and take away these serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it, sh- and it shall come to pass that everyone who is bitten will look up upon the pole, on the serpent, and live. And so Moses made a serpent of brass, put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if the serpent bit any man, when he beheld the, the serpent of brass, he lived. You say, well, that's kind of crazy. But Jesus brings that story up here, and he says, um, says to Nicodemus, um, Let's see here. Verse 14. And Moses, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And then he goes into, you know, the, the famous verses of fifteen, sixteen, and John, that God so loved the world. So, in uh, a man named Manly Beasley, who I'd never heard of, but I guess he was a um, famous Baptist preacher back in the in the twenties and thirties, and um, he's often quoted, and he he says, uh, "It's a look that saves." But it's a gaze that sanctifies. In other words, look. We had to look. That's what they all they had to do was look at the serpent, and the bite would be healed. But they had to look, and and it was by faith. So they're looking by faith, doing what God told them to do. And uh, Spurgeon himself claims that Isaiah forty-five twenty-two, which Nick read to us this morning. Um, you know, um, look unto me and be ye saved, for I am the Lord God and there is none other. Spurgeon says that's that is the very verse that when he was converted, that's what opened up his eyes. Look, just all you got to do is look. Look unto me and be ye saved, for I am the Lord God and there is none other. Then Jesus goes to the most mem- memorized and most, probably the, the verse that most people in the church and out of the church know is, God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16. You see it in the football games, you know, they hold it up on a sign. John 3.16. I mean, it's a, it's a, <clears throat> it's a classic. That's an important verse. And Jesus goes there, well, if, if it ended where it says, God so loved... And none of us would be here right now. We'd all be on our way to hell. God cannot save by his love. He doesn't save us by love. It'd be impossible. If he saved us by love, then there'd be no justice. We'd still be in our sins. So that wouldn't work. So God... uh, Excuse me again. I'm find where I am. Oh, yeah. Are you here? I'm sorry. Um, God can't save us by love. For he's always loved us. Um, but love was his motivation. God so loved that he sent. And so God loved us so much. So love is the motivation. And we see that in... in uh, um, We see that in, um, I think I'm thinking of, he loved us. If love is the motivation, he saved us by his mercy. He saved us. He says, I'm going to count them all under sin so I can be merciful to them all. He said, um, um, of course, um, in, in uh, Titus again, he said, not by works of righteousness, which they've done, but by his mercy he saves us. And uh, then it says uh, in Ephesians 2, you know, where it goes through how, how awful we were, you know, it says, You hath he quickened who were dead in sin and trespasses, who formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience among whom we all had our conversation in times past through the lust of the flesh, um, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. And we were as others, children of wrath. That was every one of us. And he says, but God. But God who is rich in mercy for his love wherewith he loved us. For his great love wherewith he loved us. So love is the motivating factor, but mercy is, is he, he saves us by mercy, by grace. By grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. And not of works, lest any man should boast. So, McGee, old Vernon McGee, I don't know how many of you listen to him. It's a good, it's a good program. It's Vernon McGee on uh, Through the Bible. I think it's Through the Bible. or uh, Yeah. Um, through the Bible. 
Um, he actually died back in the 1970s, but he's still on every day. Uh, McGee says he could not save us by perfection uh, because we didn't have any. And he could not save us by imperfection because he didn't have any. So the only thing he could do was send down the perfect to the imperfect to be perfect in us so we could be perfect. And then, uh, so anyway, that's kind of how he said it. I thought that was, that's kind of a, a, a good revelation there, so... Um, Okay, we'll wind down here. I was, I was going to watch the clock here. I don't want to keep anybody too long. Okay. I think I'll go right down to my, if I can find my last page. Okay. I think there's a, there, there's a cost to salvation, though it's free. Salvation is free. The gospel is offered freely. You know, in, uh, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin and death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Um, so, but there's a cost. God suffered by having to give his son. He had to give up his son. And then he even had to reject his son. He had to see his own dear, perfect, spotless son become sin. You know, that, that was for God to do. So he, it wasn't free for God. And then Christ certainly wasn't free for Christ. You know, he suffered every temptation that you and I suffer, but yet without sin, walked perfect. But then he was beat up and bruised and hung on a cross and... Um, all for us. So that was a great cost to him. And then what's the cost to you? Well, you can enter freely, but then he has some requirements for you. He has some requirements. Um, he says, unless you... Um, if any man come after me and hate not his father and his mother... And his wife and his children, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus here is challenging his disciples. He's talking to his disciples and he's telling them, you know, you take the dearest ones to you, the very dearest ones, the ones closest to you, the ones I'm commanding you to love with every bit of you. You know, you love husbands, love your wives, um, you know. Love one another. I mean, he's commanding us to love him all the time. Now all of a sudden he says, unless you hate him, you can't come after me. Now, does that make any sense to anybody? Well, um, I kind of think of it in the same realm as I, uh, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. It's the same thing. He loved Esau. He, actually, he blessed Esau. He, 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 there was a blessing for Esau. You know, Esau didn't get Isaac's blessing, but he... God said, I'm going to bless him. Told, he told Hagar that. So, he did bless him, and when Jacob came back, was going to give him all kinds of gifts to kind of appease Esau. Esau said, I don't need anything. i got everything here. 
got everything I need. Um, but um, so he, you know, we're Paul says, "Who's sufficient for these things?" You know, we're none of us are sufficient for these things. Our sufficiency is in God. You know, if, if uh, Christ calls you to uh, come after him, and he, he says, unless you deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, whoever will save his life will lose it, whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. You know, he calls us to die, he calls us to deny ourselves, and that's what we have to do as he leads us by the Spirit, as he provides that in us. He builds, if you ever, uh, you know, someone was talking about the, the, the martyrs, you know, who are put to death, thousands of them these days, you know, in different countries, there's all kinds of people being killed, Christians, uh, and they're standing for the Lord Jesus. And you say, well, wow, I, I don't know if I could do that. And, well, you couldn't. That's The fact is, we just have to know, we couldn't do that. But we, when we have to, God gives the grace to do it. Those Someone was saying, you know, those people aren't super saints. You know, those people who are being martyred, they're not super saints. They're just like you are. They're just like I am. But God gives them the grace to stand for him when they need it. So, okay. So salvation's a gift, just like the Israelites when they were going to go into the land. God said, I've given all this to you, wherever you put your feet, that's yours. But they went in and they had to fight their way. He says, but there's going to be some battles, and there's battles for us. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's our enemy. That's who we have to fight against. And you say, well, God so loved the world. Well, he didn't love the same world that he's saying, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life are not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust thereof. But the word of God endures forever. So he's not saying love the system. He's saying love the people. God so loved the world, he loved the people. God so loved the world, nature testifies of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. God loves that. So we're not to hate that. We're to hate the system that's out there, the Antichrist system, the demonic system, Satan's system. I thought there's no... I thought of this last week when Will was up here and uh, he was reading Psalm 2 and it says, um, the kings of the earth and the judges have set themselves together against God and against his anointed, saying, let us break their cords asunder. Let's break their bands. You know, we're going to free ourselves up here and do our own thing. That's the world. It's the world that hates God. And it's the world that's pushing so much stuff on us today. It's on fire. The world is really pushing out there today. You know. And uh, if you're a parent, guard your children. Fill your children with the word of God. Fill your children with, with uh, because the world wants them. And the world is, that's where they're going to take them. That, that's even been a, a claim of Marxism. They only start with the children. That's what you do. If we can win the children, then we got you. And, uh, and you can see how, uh, if anybody's been around the last 20 years, you can see everything sliding fast right now. We're on a downhill course. 
in the world, but not a, but we aren't. Praise the Lord for that. We have uh, the, the exceeding and precious great promises of God. And I'm just going to end right now. And, uh, of course, when we fight these battles, we, we put on the full armor of God. And um, he's, he's given us means. Uh, you know, we put on the full armor of God. We have the means of grace. We have prayer. We have the word of God. We have preaching. We have worship. We have the fellowship of the assembly. This is important. You're here today. That's very important. Um, baptism's important. Communion's important. Those are just works, but they're commandments. They're things we should be doing. Um, So my question to you, have you followed on to know the Lord? Are you following on to know the Lord? Does your soul still long for the world? Or is Christ the treasure of your heart? Do you think and talk more about salvation than you do the Savior? Do you think and talk more about redemption than you do the Redeemer? Do you think and talk more about sin than you do the sin bearer? Um, We must examine ourselves often and see if we be in the faith. Peter tells us to be diligent to make our calling and election sure. I'll just read from from Peter here to end. This is in 2 Peter, the last verses in the the book of 2 Peter. You, beloved, since you know these things beforehand... Beware, lest you also fall away from your steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory both now and forever. And all his people said, Amen. Amen.